All right, this is episode two of my addiction episodes. Um, the first one, if you haven't seen it, you probably want to watch it first. Uh, it's your addiction is not your problem. It talks about the misconception that our addictions are a problem. Really, it's this deep down rooted trauma that we need to address. I talk at length about the 12 steps and also the different aspects that happen within the brain. So today I want to talk about resentments, uh, their correlation to fear and how they're the number one reason that addicts will relapse. Um, you know, understanding people that are the angriest people I know are the scaredest people I know. Resentments or fear is a it's a anger is a secondary emotion to fear and so we we see this all the time i know that some of these prominent you know self-professed life coaches out here or just you know people around the world that try to get people upset at things okay i'm going to get you upset at the government i'm going to get you upset at uh corporations or whatever right um well I mean, the way i'm going to do that is i'm going to i'm going to get you scared i'm scared i'm scared uh, the, the administration or, or is not doing well. I'm scared Trump's going to get elected. Whatever, right? I'm scared. So I'm going to handle that by getting pissed at people because anger does a really good job at covering up fear, right? <laughs> Most people like to do this through the internet. Well, let's get online and let's let's start fighting with my neighbor. You know, he's been great. We like Bob. He was our kid's softball coach, but he likes Biden. He needs to die. He needs to die so let's publicly attack him and we're gonna you know eventually we'll sever this relationship so but that feels good in the moment and you know bob even though he has one vote was the the deciding vote in the elections he also rigged the dominion systems and uh he's drinking the harvested blood of infants so <laughs> we got to take care of bob here so but when that wears off then we get scared again and as we get scared we turn to more, you know, fearful behavior in order to deal with that. So with, with addicts, it's, it's interesting because we look to assign blame. I used to pride myself on how, uh, you know, passionate I was, right? Or, or how, uh, you know, I would get so easily offended. I was really nice but I would get really offended at the same time, right? Sensitive is the word I'm looking for. Well, when we do something bad and we feel conflicted about it, it's not very fun. We feel bad about it. You see people, this play out when they, when they leave a, a thought ideology organization. Let's take you know people that leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So you leave the church, you start engaging in behavior that's contradictory to the teachings in which you believe, um, eventually you will, you know, look for reasons that that's not true. That way you can enjoy your new lifestyle. And I see people all of a sudden start having wild sex, this unhealthy form and drugs and everything, and then they're mad at the organization that protected them from that forever. But as long as it's the church's fault, then they don't feel bad when doing it. Well, in addiction, it's, it's really dangerous because we assign blame if it's someone else's fault. When we take those drugs, they feel really good, really good. And that's when things get out of control and get dangerous. In my story, I talk about a bad reaction to a medication that had huge reverberating effects and caused me to lose, you know, eventually the demise of my marriage, a million dollar business, everything else. And a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it wasn't my fault. 
And I was so upset at God. I was like, look, you, you took everything from me. I thought you couldn't be tempted above that you're able. You tempted me above that I was able. And I have nothing. And I'm going to do whatever I want. And it felt good. That is the most dangerous resentment of all. Because if everything is God's fault, if God's wronged us, we're going to do that. You know, when I was at uh, the Haven, it was a rough, rough rehab years ago. And we would have this uh, exercise where you would have to find someone that offended you during the week. And uh, us as addicts, we walk on eggshells. We don't like conflict, so we just we don't get mad until eventually someone typically will do something little and then we just blow up, right? So what would happen, and, and I'm in here with guys with convicted felons and guys with racketeering, arms charges, rapists, whatever. It's, it's rough. And, uh, you know, that there's a, you, you sit in the middle of a circle and you, you're facing each other. And, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, Bob, Tuesday you said something. My perception is that's what you meant. Is that what you meant? We were right about 5% of the time. About 5% of the time. And in the meantime, we're like, oh, I'm going to kill Bob. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all these things. So, you know, the, the title of this episode is Drinking Poison and Expecting It to Kill Someone Else. When we're mad at people, it rarely does anything to them, but it has the absolute power to, you know, destroy us. You know, we can get resentments over small things. You know, you guys that are judging me because I have my hair tattooed and my eyebrows microbraided, my eyeliner tattooed and getting my lips done, all that. You're judging me. And so it's now your fault that I'm going to go do these things. Conflict is unavoidable but contention is optional once we get into that place we leave ourselves to some dangerous impulses murders rapes all these things you know drunk drunk or alcohol just and drugs will just exasperate this and people leave heartbroken families are destroyed lives are lost because of an impulsive behavior and people can't you know get a hold of their temper which like I talked about, really, they just can't manage their fear. Fear is, you know, it, it, as I alluded to earlier, it's always a powerful marketing tool. You know, it, it, when we're scared, we buy. When I, when COVID hit, I had just gotten out of the hospital with this bacteria called leptospirosis, and I, I was near death. And I remember there was no, it was crazy. It was like walking to the twilight zone and no one was at Adobe. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's nothing on the shelves, right? But companies just profited and capitalized on fear. And the problem with fear is it doesn't have the ability long-term to keep us in a certain place, right? I'm, I'm going to follow God because I'm scared of God. Well, when the, when the whirlwinds of life hit when we lose a child, when we face a divorce, when we lose our job or our income or our health, that's not going to sustain us. Fear will not sustain us. But it's, it's the most powerful power, and it's the power by which Satan uses to rule over us, is fear. Fear has some interesting ac acronyms. Um, F everybody and run. Faults events appearing real I like I like both of them but fear is a liar 
the only thing that we have to deal with is now. The best book I've ever seen on fear and mindfulness is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. If, if you want to understand mindfulness, it's, it's a heavy read. Um, it's, it's, it's deep. He's, he's a very, uh, yeah, it's, it's very well written, but it, it talks about being mindful and being able to, to, you know, not get so upset at these things. But what we do is we catastrophize fear, we get out of the present, and uh, we put off something because in our mind we're thinking about all the negative things that could happen because of it. Uh, managing our finances. In the meantime, every day we're going about with this gut in our stomach and this avoidance to dealing with it, and it's causing all this stress because we think, man, if it turned out to be like this, it would just be horrible. I don't want to see it. When in reality, when we get to the point when we're finally, you know, check it it's it's usually not as bad as you know we thought but our minds are constantly creating these these scenarios to flip us out anxiety has its place it has its place when we're supposed to fill it you know if a big line jumps out and is trying to tap me i should feel anxiety it's actually a performance enhancing thing in the right way it makes my mind work faster it gears my muscles up full of adrenaline and i'm ready to deal with that circumstance the problem is we're in such a hyper conditioned stimuli induced environment especially with social media and all this that our alarms are going off when they shouldn't go off learning to calm down the best way when a woman's stressed is to tell her, you know, just calm down. That works really well. I might have done that before. Um, learning to ground ourselves. I love taking off my shoes and going out and stepping on the grass. Now it's warm. It's a great time to do it. And just sitting there and feeling that energy come into my body. Feeling God filling the earth which is alive as well and it has a remarkable effect with calming me down with helping me relax connecting with people all of these things are things that we can imply employ but we are experts at distraction in order to not deal with the situation most of us aren't lazy because we procrastinate some are most of us are scared and it's in lazy has nothing to do with it I still am dealing with procrastination. I've gotten way better at it, but I still will go into patterns of fear and put stuff off and catastrophize results only to finally realize that I'd suffered a bunch for no reason. Kind of the way I judge people's anger is, is I think it's funny to watch people lose their minds. I, it's a problem, but I always have. And uh, in my old days, I, I loved to piss people off. It's from my dad. It was his goal in life just to piss each other off. And he was fun to piss off. Oh. And he would just lose it. He'd lose it over anything. You know, he'd lose it when we got hurt. One day I, was, I got this BMX bike and he hated the bike because he thought I was going to hurt myself for basketball. And I was riding it really fast in front of our house and the chain fell off and it slammed me on the pavement and I skidded and skidded up my knee and I, there's blood everywhere. And so I stand up, I'm just covered in blood and he comes around the corner, stops, <laughs> unrolls his window, looks at me and says, oh, you dummy! And dries off. <laughs> so there's a silver lining there that I got to see the old man lose it. In the midst of, you know, my, my leg all bloody.
but <laughs> quick uh I, it's fascinating what the things I listen to, especially in my personal work with people, the things I listen to that people are thinking about uh, that, that pisses people off, you know, and it just doesn't help. Road rage is, you know, a big one. I lived out in Louisiana. Uh, I'm not a good driver either, but you, you get out and run your mouth, you're going to get shot. People shoot each other. I... I specialize in confrontation and one of the number one rules is to know your enemy you don't know your enemy when you're screaming or honking at another car god made all men samuel colt made all men equal uh, when i realize and i don't ever get road rage anymore i i laugh about it now me and my friends are driving i get flipped off i'm like eh. it just doesn't matter to me now granted i can i could drive better but you know a while back, I was, you know, this was probably a year and a half ago. It was right when I went went through my uh, breakup with my old girlfriend, and I was not doing well. And I was driving, and this this skinny kid, you could tell he was on meth, was behind me, and he's trying to pass me. So I pulled over to that way, and then he didn't go. So I tried to pull the way, and it looked like I was trying to just keep him from going. So he drives up to the side and starts screaming. I looked at him like this, and. So he pulls up to the stoplight and gets out of his car. This kid's probably buck 20 soaking wet. Unless he had an equalizer, I, I don't see this going very well for him. And, you know, a couple years earlier, I would have been in jail or shot. But I just was like, there's just no reason to do it. And so I just turned him around in the middle of the road and drove off. Who cares? You know, if you're trying to be a tough guy and you're 40 years old, that's embarrassing. Most tough guys don't say that they're tough, by the way. It doesn't matter. The, the toughest guy to fight is the person that doesn't fight back. I'm also a horrible parker. <laughs> I used to collect the notes. Um, one time I posted, I got this wonderful note, and I think it was like, "You are you serious right now? Hopefully you get some help in life. Because life is hard when you're an idiot. It's a wonderful note. I posted the note on Facebook and a few people were like, they were just pissed. But if parking, if something like that can make you so upset, that probably means you're bottling up on situations. And best case scenario, you freak out and leave a note on someone. Worst case scenario is you hit your wife or you scream at your kids or you lose a job. When we don't learn to handle these situations. Today, if there's anything I'm good at, the number one thing is probably conflict. But I just deal with things instantly. Hey, that situation doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. I, I set a boundary. If we're going to keep in each other's lives, if you want to keep in mind, just to let you know that doesn't work. I'm not upset if we don't. And if it continues on, I sever the relationship. And when you start to go through this process, I talk about it at length, and I think it's episode nine, which is the kindest people set boundaries. It was really hard, and I went through a sifting of people in my life that were toxic and just weren't good to be there, and it was very painful to move them out. But at this point, it's not very hard because I just don't let them in. I understand narcissism very well. They always 
will perceive me as dominant to start out with. They always will try to establish a relationship. They always kiss my butt way too much. And, uh, you know, another time I'll do an episode on them as well as the cluster bees. But I just, I know who to let in. For you girls, I've talked about this in the episode, uh, I think it's 12, The Myth of Friends with Benefits. Pay attention to that feeling inside, the first feeling, the first time. If I'm talking to a girl and I won't, you, you want to know if you can trust me, pray and ask God. Ask my father, he'll tell you. Either I'm crazy or I'm a good man. Well, I'm both crazy and a good man. Pay attention to that. I also talk about in another episode the deceptive tools men will use to manipulate women. That's uh, 13. And, uh, you know, I know quite a few women will use to manipulate men as well. But learning to just handle these situations. I don't give people free rent in my head. If you can get up there and cause me problems, my hat's off to you because it's just, it's not easy. I, uh, a girl I dated after we broke up, she sent the meanest message. <laughs> the meanest message. I'd had her blocked and she told my friend, can I just, can I unblock him for a minute? And so I read it and it's like, hey, so and so and so and so are way more sexually attracted to you. By the way, I was never attracted to you at all. By the way, I was talking to guys the whole time that we were talking. By the way, you're not a therapist. You should quit trying to do this. <laughs> I read it and I felt bad because I knew she was suffering, but I just smiled and I texted back. I hope you find happiness. You deserve to be happy. <laughs> she loved it and said, you deserve to be happy too. And then I blocked her again and I haven't talked to her since but I've learned to just not react. When I started to change, and for you guys that are like me, you know, I was the middle child who just lost his mind to the, the delight of my father and brothers, and my mother hated it. To learn how to compose and emotionally regulate myself in charged situations was very difficult, and it will throw people off. You know, when I first got divorced, I, I'm a lot better but I wasn't good at the the little things to schedule things. And my ex-wife is wonderful at them. And if I veer off, you know, she'd get upset. And like, even though she was right, it was pissing me off. Well, there was a situation that happened a few weeks in and, and she didn't ask me about it. And she just came off really harsh. And I knew I could have hammered her. I knew I could have. And it, it was such a strong urge to let her hear it. But I was just like, no. It's not going to do anything good, and I can understand why you should feel that way. And for a while, it was almost like, what are you doing? Are you trying to manipulate me? I was like, no. I just, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to fight anymore. I hate conflict. God sees fit to bring it to my door quite a bit, and I bring a decent amount myself too, but I, I don't like it. I've been in some situations that were, you know, really tough with conflict and, and I've had to stay composed. Uh, well, my sponsor a while back was doing an intervention with a guy out at Cirque Lodge and he was at his house in Provo and he's a big dude and he wanted me to go with him. So we go there one night and the guy's intoxicated and, and my sponsor's pissed at him and so the guy goes to the other side of the door, he locks the door and he looks at both of us and he looks at him and he looks at me and I just, there's no reaction. I just look at him. Well, that disarms people. It makes them nervous. 
if he was pissed and I would have came at him, either we would have fought, he or I would have got scared, right? If I would have pulled back away, he probably would have bullied me. But I just don't react. I stay composed. The best fighters are the best fighters because they stay composed. They breathe. The wild guy that's throwing fists, if he gets a hit once in a while, he might do all right, but he's going to run out of breath and stay composed. I am... I've had a lot of interesting interactions with predators, especially in the single world. And uh, the guys that want to be tough with me are always twice my size, always. You know, and, and most of the time I'm thinking, dude, <laughs> I don't want to fight anyway, but it, I just run away from you for a, a minute or two and then you'd lose your breath and I'm very fast and strong. What are you going to do? But I don't, I, I, I don't like conflict. So... Uh, a while back, I was at church, and the bishop had called me in and said, we need your help. We've got a, a, a guy that's a wreck in the ward. We've got a predator in the ward, and he's causing all these issues with girls, and uh, we need you to be the escort. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, it means that you have to be by him anytime he's in the building. And I was like, wow, <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm thinking about it during the week, and I'm like, well, God asked Abinadi to testify about the wickedness of people, and he got murdered. <laughs> and again, I don't know my, my opponent. I have no idea what I'm going into, but I knew that God had called me there. And so I'm, I'm praying and asking for strength to go about it, and I got two strong impressions. The first was, I didn't call you to do this because, you know, you're a tough guy. I called you because you're composed. Don't get cocky. The second is, remember he's my son, and I love him. That had a big impact on me. So we go, the guy's sitting there at church, and uh, the second counselor's little guy says, this is Cade, you can't be on the premises unless you're uh, in his presence, because they're trying to get a restraining order, but haven't got it yet, and... Uh, he looks at me and yells, you know, I've shared the story before, but he says, by whose authority? Uh, for you guys that understand uh, the inner works of our church, you'll know how eerie that statement was. Uh, he, said, uh, the, he said, by the bishop, and he said, I've done nothing wrong. Well, I study body language and have gotten really proficient at it. It, it really is wonderful with women, by the way. <laughs> um, I was at country dance the other night, and one of my buddies was like, you just sit and analyze people all the time. But people give away so much by their body language. There are certain subconscious things people do. And yes, you might you stroke your hair because you like a guy, and you might stroke it just to stroke your hair. But when you start to do five or six things within the body, it becomes really hard to fake. But this guy was expert. He was trained military in deception, and everything that he did would have indicated that he was innocent. But one, the spirit said he was lying, and two, his eyes said he was lying. As I looked into his eyes, the eyes don't lie. The eyes are a window to the soul. You look into my eyes, you can tell I'm a good man. And I said, you know, look, boss, this isn't personal, but as long as you're here in the building, you're not going to leave my side. And this is right before church starts. So he storms up to the front, and I just follow him, and he slams on the pulpit, looks at the bishop, and says, by whose authority? says it again. Bishop said, by the legal department of the church. He said, I've done nothing wrong. He said, you know what you've done. 
The guy gets pissed and goes and leaves the building. I walk in and walk outside and watch him drive off. Next week he comes and he hides behind a dumpster and antagonizes a girl. And so for the next six months, my job was to take the sacrament and then walk around the inn and outside of the church looking for him. I kind of felt like the mafia, you know, and it was not easy to let this go to my head. Because people were coming up and be like, are you the guy? I'm like, yeah, I'm the guy. <laughs> They're like, hey, we've got a couple other guys who are worried about him. I'm like, ah. have you talked to the bishop about it? And they're like, no, but, you know, he said some things that made the women uncomfortable. I'm like, brother, if I spent all my time trying to police guys that make women uncomfortable, I'd never have time to worship. But I'm grateful to God that he's helped my anger by helping my fear. I think it's been almost two years. Probably the two most meaningful situations I've had was my daughter in her room has a, this big sliding glass door that's come unhinged. And uh, one morning we wake up, I'm tired, didn't sleep well, and I just hear this crash in the room. And I go in there and it has fallen and just smashed. It's not cheap at all. And she just starts bawling. The old me would have, you know, just wouldn't have been able to help it. Been worried about how much she was going to pay this and that. I was able just to stop and look at her and say, hey, babe, it's okay. And it was so nice not to lose my temper at her. Another one was on my little buddy's birthday. We got, the, I don't know why Swig does those cups. They do it to, it's, it's a conspiracy, they do it to get you to buy more swig because those styrofoam cups, you squeeze them, not at the, t at the top by the lid, every time they spill open. I just washed and cleaned my truck. And I'm like, hey bud, hand me, hand me the soda. Well, it wasn't even him that handed me, it was my daughter, but I squeezed it and it went everywhere. And Kip was in the car too, and he's seen my wonderful temper. And <laughs> there's probably a six second delay of is he gonna lose his mind, where I was like, I'm gonna scream at Kip, or uh, at Light, I'm gonna scream at Cruz, I'm just gonna scream at Kip because he's here and I don't like him. But I was able just to calm down. And I said, that's okay, son. And he said, wow, Dad, you've gotten really good control of your temper. Today, we see people using events we can't control to control us. I, after COVID, I unfollowed the majority of people, well, a lot of people, because it was just brutal. If you want to change someone's opinion, it's not going to happen by getting on Facebook and being argumentative. You know, do a Facebook story. You can have a meaningful one-on-one -on -one interaction with them. You might get somewhere with them. But people are just going crazy. They were going crazy with things they can't control. If I didn't believe in God, I don't quite know how to deal with it. When I was in Houston, we lived in a rough part of the area. And one of the tough things, I, I love Texas. I'm back there years. It's my favorite place on earth. It is as good as they said. I wasn't born there. I got there as, as soon as I could. The women in Texas, it's really crazy for you girls. But when they like you, they say, I like you. I, it's You don't do that. You know, here, if you, if you like them, tell them you don't like them. I like Texas a lot. But one of the problems is that the poverty is so widespread that, you know, hand in hand goes violence with that because people are hurting and we lived in this neighborhood. And, you know, one one day, like our, the, the beautiful thing about Texas is in the cul-de-sacs, it's like family. Like your kids can go into the neighbors and get their fridge and they'll spank them and it's, it's, it's great. But they're... 
they're having this this neighborhood meeting and one of the guys pretty tipsy and <laughs> so <laughs> a little while before that our next door neighbor one night the the wife's home alone and she looks into the back and she sees a guy standing there and behind us was a field and this very low-income apartment and there's a guy sitting back there a kid and he sat there and stared at her and uh she called the police had him on the phone he still didn't leave for like 10 minutes he just sat and stared at her so made us nervous i'm new in the neighborhood and so they're talking about neighborhood plans and the drunk guy's like all i can say is if they take me i'm <laughs> i'm taking them down with me a few of them and he's cocking his 12 gauge and i'm like oh so i went and got a gun it was a little sissy little caltech i just barely bought a a revolver 45 caliber which uh I like but it's it was a small little one but i was terrified at that point my faith was struggling anything could happen and uh i couldn't sleep at night and one night because i'd hear all these things happen one night i hear something i go grab the gun i open up my back door and as soon as i did a gunshot went off and it, like i fell to the ground i felt like someone was shooting at me well it was actually an actual gunshot that was happening in the apartment complex but it was terrifying if god isn't real how can we protect our children from these events, from uh, technology moving away from person to in-person things to, you know, simulating sex, the violence, to everything like that. Uh, agendas being pushed within our schools. We've got both sides of the political party, you know, with typically money and power being the culprits. We've got diseases that afflict us and uh, just run rampant. We've got wars. That's terrifying. For you guys that don't believe in God, my heart goes out to you. But he's real. Jesus Christ is real. I have both seen Jesus Christ and I have heard his voice. And you can look in my eyes and know I'm telling the truth. And he promised us that these last days would be terrifying. Men's heart would wax cold because of fear. Be not troubled. In the world you shall have tribulation. I have overcome the world. There is peace within the Son of God. There is peace within the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. President Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles uh, that runs the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there's a modern-day prophet of God, said, the joy we feel in our life has very little to do with our circumstances and everything to do with our focus. When I lose the spirit, things that are manageable become unmanageable. I'll look at my bank account one day, fine. I'll lose the spirit, bank account's the same. I'm freaking out. As we shift our focus to faith building, God has us. This, this past three months has been a whirlwind for me. I'll talk more about it as I feel like it, but it's been scary. And I was so close to relapsing and made a lot of mistakes. 
and it was just terrifying to me and I, I barely got out of it but God this past few days has given me assurance I've wanted forever and I don't know all the particulars of it but I know now what I know and I can feel the powers of Satan coming I couldn't sleep the other night and I'm like okay what's the lesson well there's a scripture that in Hebrews Paul's writing and it's talking to recent converts of the church. It says, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Remember that after you felt the Spirit enjoy the church, everything got tough. But you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that in heaven you had a better and an enduring substance. You took joyfully all these trials because you knew what you had therefore cast not away therefore your confidence which has great recompense of reward for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God you might receive the promise the best talk I've ever heard Jeffrey R. Holland cast not away therefore your confidence you can YouTube it talks about after moments of spiritual enlightenment how Satan comes afterwards with doubt these different things and I start questioning you know my assurances and the witnesses and stuff and it was just terrifying and I could feel hey this is this is it hey, you and me are at it now I am no Stranger to Satan. I have, I've probably had 50 women tell me I look like Satan. I don't know what all that means. The one I was in St. George and I met a few girls and I could hear in her breath, he looks like Satan. I'm like, did you just say I look like Satan? She's like, yeah. I was like, well, I think Satan was probably a pretty good looking dude considering everything he did. Now I'm getting off subject. But I could feel that it is the time and I am resolute and rock-solid in what I'm doing now I have never had more women approach interact engage or just put out feelers than I have this past month the gym has just been insane for me uh, I won't talk about all the stuff but there's no way I'm that good-looking I realize what Satan's doing so I'm like okay God I'm gonna give up all this sexual stuff all of it I need help Boom, all of a sudden my inbox is flooded with a bunch of women that I've never met that are gorgeous. And he's like, okay, you're not going to go after them. I'm going to bring them to you. But I know where my peace is. I'll close with a scripture in, in Helaman to his sons. And now my sons remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that you must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Let's get our lives back.